The View from the Lane is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook and I'm joined again today by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. But instead of us being in the same room as normal, James is somewhere else in London and Charlie is in Lightning. So if you're a Spurs fan who's tired of disjointedness, lack of communication and individual errors, then you've come to the wrong place. Let's start off by looking back at Burnley on Saturday evening and the big story there, which was Jose Mourinho's drive-by in the press conference <laughs> and in TV interviews afterwards on Tanky and Dombele. Charlie, you were there. What was it like? Yeah, as you say, I mean, we were waiting for Jose to come through to do his press conference and words started filtering through from you, in fact, that uh, on the TV interview he'd gone from Dombele so you know you get that sense of okay something's building here and he obviously wanted to get some things off his chest about Dombele because he went after him and well first he said we didn't have a midfield in the first half then he praised Oliver Skip uh, but then said look I'm not going to run away from this I'm just going to name him uh, Tangi wasn't good enough hasn't been good enough and yeah my, you know it was pretty pretty explosive stuff it was amazing, wasn't it? It was the first the first time I've really seen Mourinho this critical of an individual player at Tottenham. Um, I was reading your piece about it on The Athletic last night, which is full of really interesting detail, and you said that you felt like this had been building in Mourinho for a while? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it started on Boxing Day when Mourinho came out publicly and said that Ndombele, it wasn't that he was injured for the Brighton game, it was that he said he wasn't in a condition to play. And then he came off injured in the Southampton game on New Year's Day, and after that, Mourinho said dismissively that he's always injured. And now I was told around that time that that didn't go down so well with a lot of the players. It was quite divisive. Anyway, so I reported that, I think, late January um, in a piece kind of looking at Ndombele and his brilliance and why he's frustrating. Mourinho's then been asked, you know, fairly often about Ndombele. And he's given, since then, pretty measured responses. He talked about how he called him... Um, a fantastic player or something to that effect, but revealed that he was put on this like fitness regime. And then there was the Neto uh, incident where that went viral last week, where you know Ndombele is ambling back. Anyway, it, the view you know behind the scenes though it was becoming a big concern. Um, and at that point, Mourinho wanted to protect the player. You know, he didn't want to criticize him publicly uh, like he had done uh, around Christmas and New Year. Anyway, then you fast forward to Saturday, he gives him this start and the performance in his eyes was just not good enough. And I understand that the effort level as well was what really infuriated Mourinho, especially at a time where there are so many players injured. Everyone needs to step up, uh, you know, and put in like a, a double shift almost. Uh, and his view was that Ndombele wasn't doing that. And he talked about, you know, he wasn't showing for the ball. He wasn't winning the ball. It was, you know, 
pretty much an evisceration of his performance. So, yeah, it's been uh, this has been coming for a little while now. Well, so we'll get on to the rights and wrongs of this in a second. But James, it's hard to disagree with the content of what Mourinho said, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, what he's actually said, I, I wouldn't say was strictly untrue. Um, I mean, he'll obviously have a far better idea of uh, Ndombele's fitness and what he's been doing in training than we do, clearly. But it's just the nature of you know f- throwing a player under the bus, you know, a young player in a new league for the first time. You know, presumably it, it may be not in the best mental state at the moment. Given you know, clearly this move hasn't quite worked out as he would have expected. And I just don't. You know, th- this is part. This is an element of Mourinho's approach to management that I think is actually probably more outdated than the tactical stuff that, that we've talked about before. Yeah, and you're right. You know, it's easy to see how. And why Mourinho would be frustrated by what's going on, you know, and Dombele should be a key player in this team and, and things aren't going particularly well for Spurs and a lot of players are injured and clearly Mourinho is going to want him at his best out there. But I don't really see there's any benefit to to the way he's conducted that interview. From a business point of view, if uh, Dombele is, a, is a, an asset that we think, you know, Spurs may want to uh, cash in on at some point, then... Surely, what Mourinho is saying is going to sort of d- diminish his value in the, in the transfer market. Yeah, I, I I think I agree with all of that from James. Uh, this is very much a classic Mourinho tactic. Um, Mourinho calls it confrontational leadership. I remember going to a press conference at Cobham, went back when he was Chelsea manager about five years ago, and he told us confrontational leadership is when you are ready to provoke your players, creating some conflict with them with the intention to bring the best out of them. And in the past, it has been very successful. But I think there's a difference between the kind of Generation X players, for want of a better phrase, who Mourinho had so much success with using this method back in the 2000s, and the kind of millennial Gen Z players nowadays, who who clearly don't react as well to this kind of treatment. And we can see that for Manchester United, where he would hammer Paul Pogba, Luke Shaw, Martial, and never really get the right reaction from them. Um, Charlie, I want to take it back to something you said earlier, which was really interesting, about the reaction you expect from the other players or the reaction of the Spurs dressing room to Mourinho's comments about Dombele in the past. I mean, as I say, I think last time, um, you know, around Christmas, New Year, there was uh, it, it, there was division on that. From what I hear this time, it hasn't been, and, and this is just from what I've been told, you know, and it's not representative of every player, I'm sure it hasn't been as big an issue, um, you know, over the last few weeks as we might have thought, you know, because this has been something we've talked about a lot, this issue about Ndombele's conditioning and that sort of thing. But it doesn't sound like it's necessarily something that, you know, all the players have been talking about. Um, I mean, something that was made quite a lot of, and it's one of those where y- you just don't know whether whether it is something was, uh, Deli Ali talked about, you know, talent not being enough and at half time. That was the message, and that's what all the players thought. Some people think he was referring to Ndombele, but that's not been confirmed. You know, it's possible that was what he was getting at, but it, it could have been more general. That's really interesting. I had, based on just one conversation I had with a dressing room source on Sunday evening, he said to me, Ndombele is struggling, but this from Mourinho is not normal. And he said it was simply incredible to see the manager attack one of his players in public like this. So I think... As ever in this situation, there'll always be a kind of a broad range of views, I think, amongst the players. Yeah, just one, I mean, I just think about that, actually, one other sort of said, you know, there had been surprise, uh, you know, that he hadn't adapted as quickly as he might have done. But again, I don't know if that's something that's shared uh, by the other players and, and how much sympathy there is. The fact, 
he is coming to a different league and it's you know it's a big change of pace he wouldn't be the first player or the last to have come from Liga uh, and struggled in his first season what do we think the effect of this will be I mean it's very difficult to read you know to read the mind of Ndombele which is what we really need to do and I, certainly I I haven't been able to establish how he's feeling based on attempted reporting over the last few days what do we have we got a sense of whether this will have the desired effect? Because clearly, clearly, it's being said for that p- specific purpose to kind to spark an improvement out of him. Yeah, I think I think it is really hard to know. Um, you know, we it, he's probably not been in a situation quite like this before. I mean, I know uh, Jack, you reported when he was signed by Tottenham that you know there had been concerns over his conditioning and fitness uh, before, but th- this is quite an unusual situation. I mean, the hope is that he you know, uses it as fuel um, and, and really goes on and proves himself. And, and the reality is he is, you know, Mourinho said that he can't keep playing him at the moment because the team's more important. But obviously the reality with so many injured players is that he will keep getting chances. So, I, I, you know, I don't think this is like last chance saloon for him. He needs to start taking his chances pretty quickly, but I think he will get more before the season's out. Charlie, I, I agree with you again. I know that from speaking to people who know Ndombele in France about this back in January when it was first an issue I spoke to John Williams who worked with Ndombele at Amiens and he said to me that he was kind of confident that Tangi and Mourinho would eventually be able to work well together. James I want to come to you next where do you think the sympathies of the Spurs fans lie on this? From the conversations I've had with people and, and from what I've seen on social media uh, and it does actually seem like quite a lot of people um, have sympathy with Mourinho uh, I, I mean the frustration that uh, Ndombele hasn't been able to, to perform at the level you would have expected from a player who costs, you know, 50, 60 million pounds over the summer. Uh, I mean, that, that's pretty evident. Uh, so, you know, on, on the one hand, I think most people are kind of a little bit uncomfortable with the way Mourinho has gone about it. I think actually, I, from what I've seen, there's quite a lot of sympathy for um, the situation he's found himself in. <laughs> This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist's time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember... You try before you buy, delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co dot uk forward slash athletic. Yeah, and if we can get back to matters on the pitch, Charlie, how... Were the problems in the first half at Burnley, were they just in Dombele or were the problems bigger than that? No, I don't think it was just in Dombele. And, and uh, if you were defending him, you could make the case that a lot of uh, the game was spent with the ball up in the air above his and Ollie Skip's head. So, you know, he might think it was not necessarily his fault that he wasn't getting on the ball and dictating things. But um, 
Yeah, aside from him, a lot of players had very, very bad first halves. I mean, the, the defence was all over the place. It was a back five with five centre-backs, essentially. Um, and they were all over, like, all, all over the place. Like, didn't look like they really knew what they were doing. Burnley really should have put that game out of sight. Um, it, it was one of the worst first halves of the season, definitely. But Charlie, it looked like on telly, like Spurs were much better in the second half and a lot of that was down to Lacelso. Yeah, I have to say actually, like, you know, we criticise Spurs when they play badly, so credit where credit's due. I think they, that second half was a, a really impressive performance the way they dug in. Turf Moor is quite an intimidating place. Like, you know, being there, the booze just can't, you know, the ref's getting so much heat. I, I, I wouldn't have been massively surprised if Tottenham had lost that game 2 or 3-0, but as it was... Uh, they came out in the second half. Lacelso and Mora came on at half time, and Lacelso just bossed it from more or less the first minute he was on the pitch. Uh, and then a couple of minutes later, drove forward, you know, ran like eight up the yards as he did like four or five times, and played a really good pass. And Mello, they won the pen back in it, and then and then they really could have gone on to win the game. And Burnley, I didn't think had that much of a threat in the second half. So I I do think they dug in and showed good character. Obviously, the penalty was scored by Deli Ali. Quite difficult for him at the moment, trying to play up front on his own. It's obviously not his natural position. How do you think he's doing? I think he's doing okay. I mean, he's he's working hard and doing as much as he can. And, you know, there was a lot of running around in the first half, trying to get on the ball and influence it. But it's just so not his game. And, you know, so much of his game is playing off a proper front man. So credit to him because, he, you know, I, I do think he's putting a shift in. But uh, I think they'll actually be maybe better having more of there I don't know it's it just seems like you lose so much of Ali when he's there rather than playing a bit deeper yeah I, I would agree with that I, I mean you can kind of see from, from Ali's body language that it, he's really not 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 enjoying it at the moment I mean it it's difficult for any player to play out of position but I think he as Charlie says I mean Deli Ali's best spell at Spurs was when he it, it was in uh 2016-17 when he was playing effectively up front with Harry Kane he's more you know he's a second striker he was playing right off the shoulder and you know when he is the focal point it just doesn't seem like things are really working quite the same way for him he just kind of looks a little bit lost and you know it's difficult because having said for so many weeks when Lucas was playing as a central striker and, and, and Son was playing out wide that that wasn't working now we're kind of in a situation where uh, that, we're kind of crying out for, for Lucas to play as the, the number nine or false nine again. Well, it's basically whoever's not playing there looks better than whoever yeah. is playing there. I mean, I think there is a certain degree of that, isn't there? It's, you know, things aren't going well, so what can we change? Uh, you know, I, there probably isn't really an ideal solution there in that squad f from what we've seen so far. And I think it might just be one of those situations where you just got to kind of muddle through and... Uh, you know, hope every other player on the pitch sort of does their bit and chances fall to good players and you can kind of scrape a few wins here and there. But I, I, looking at Tottenham's next five games, I'm not massively confident that there are going to be too many wins uh, in the next month or so. Yeah, it's looking tough in the league, isn't it? And Spurs are now seven points off fourth place with nine league games left. United in fifth place, probably in better form, surprising to say. Do you see any path for Spurs into Champions League football for next season? The first thing, obviously, they'll need is is for that City ban to be upheld um, and then for the Champions League to go down to the fifth place. The one thing that I suppose you could argue sort of works in their favour is that they do still have games against some of those teams. They've got a game at home to Manchester United, obviously, this weekend. Um uh, and then a game against Sheffield United after the international break. Uh, and if they can find a way of winning both of those, then obviously they'll, you know, in theory, sort of be in quite good stead. But 
you know, you've mentioned Manchester United form now is really good. They really seem like they've got that goal of, of, a, of a top four or five finish in their sights and they, they're probably quite confident they're going to do that. Uh, and then if we look over our shoulders as well, there's Arsenal who sort of seem to be sort of clicking into gear steadily as well. Um, it certainly feels like they're moving in the right direction more than Spurs are at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say that United game on the weekend is so, so big, isn't it? Because, you know, obviously if Spurs win that, then you're like, right, they're right back in it, especially if it is fifth. If they lose it, then I don't know. I, I don't know if they can lose that game and get top four, top five. It's going to be, a, it would be a massive ask. I think Chelsea might have kind of turned a corner a bit now. I actually think that that game against Spurs at Stamford Bridge the other week has probably given them a bit of a lift. I know they then got um, smashed by Bayern in the Champions League, but... Their, their league performances since then have been have been slightly improved, and obviously they were very good against or, or decent against Everton on Sunday. And I just I just think they're probably going to have enough in the tank now to finish above, you know that that kind of gaggle of sides below. So it is all it is to my mind all down to what happens to Manchester City and then that that race for fifth. Yeah, and I mean that Sheffield United game as well after the international break, as you say, that's so big, isn't it? You know that that United. I mean, it's what United, West Ham, Sheffield United, and those are really the three games before you think tentatively Kane might be back. So if they can yeah. just get enough there to still be in the mix, they have a chance. It's just whether they can stay in the mix because United at home and Sheffield United away are not easy games. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, having said I don't really see Spurs getting many results in these next five games, including Leipzig, I think that the kind of four or five after that are way more favourable. You know, you're playing, you're sort of talking about Bournemouth, Leicester, who haven't really been in good form for ages, and Palace, who have... have picked up a little bit but are a bit hit and miss and I suspect maybe on the beach by that point last game of the season uh, and Newcastle and you never know who you're going to get with Newcastle so th- those are kind of better games but I, you know t- t- and, and those would be the ones where you would expect Kane and Son to be back but where where Spurs will be by that point I mean like I say I wouldn't be particularly confident they'll still be within sort of three or four points and realistically that's where you need them to be it is crazy to think that by the end of this week, if, if if they lose to Leipzig and lose to United, that is suddenly you're, you're in mid-March and you're thinking, wow, <laughs> there's not a huge amount left to play for. But it, it could go the other way. It could go the other way. It could, indeed. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it, how quickly seasons can narrow like this, isn't it? Where you, you go from having quite a lot of possibilities to really not having much to play for. I, I want to say one thing, this might sound ridiculous, but... There's a big question mark hanging over the rest of the Premier League season, which is, will it be played behind closed doors and what effect will that have? Well, that's really interesting because games like games like Sheffield United away, that becomes like a totally different proposition without their fans there. But the flip side to that, of course, is the, the North London derby at home, where I, I, that that feels like the kind of game where the fans are really make quite a big difference. And actually, I think if that was played behind closed doors, I, I, I wouldn't... <laughs> I wouldn't be too confident in Spurs at the moment because Arsenal are in such good nick. So, yeah, I mean, that will be really interesting. That That is a thing that n- nobody yet can quite say how that's going to pan out and it could end up having quite a big bearing on on, uh, on the way things go, really. That leads us on to Leipzig, where Tottenham will play on Tuesday night. Charlie, you just landed there. What's the atmosphere? Fairly quiet at the moment. I'm sure it will pick up uh, this evening and into tomorrow. Um, I mean, I was chatting to a couple of Spurs fans uh, on the flight. There's not a huge amount of optimism there. I have to say, I, I'm not that pessimistic about it. I think it's going to be really close. I don't know whether Spurs will go through, but I think um, I think it's going to be tight. And I think, you know, a nervy, exciting end to the tie. I, I just don't see Leipzig coming out and having the nous to just control the fact that they've got this first leg lead. I think you saw like... 
Arsenal Olympiacos. Uh, Arsenal went in with that 1-0 lead and just looked a bit unsure of whether to stick or twist. And they're a more experienced European side. So I think that that could well happen to Leipzig tomorrow. And I know Spurs are missing a lot of players, but I think, I think they're really still in this. And so who are we expecting to come back into the Spurs team, particularly the guys who maybe didn't start and Burnley on Saturday? Well, as well now, there's Bergvine who who isn't travelling. He's out injured. Davis isn't travelling either. He didn't play on the weekend, obviously, either. So, I mean, Lacelso has to come back in. Winks had a rest, so he'll come back in. Lucas, Aurier. James, is there anyone you'd like to see come in or any changes you'd want in the team? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, there are so few players available. And as Charlie says, you know, there's another two missing out uh, who were previously fit. It, the team almost picks itself, really. But, I mean, if Sessegnon is fairly fit, and obviously he's had an injury as well, it just feels like, you know, it feels like the kind of situation where maybe a little bit of a wild card just kind of almost feels like a gamble that's probably worth it. You know, a little bit more pace in the team, a little bit more dynamism. I, I just feel like, you know, roll the dice a little bit and just see what happens. Uh, you know, on, on having said that, clearly Spurs can't afford to be too... Um, you know the game is still very delicately poised, and Spurs can't afford to be too um, haphazard with their defending. But I, I think if you're going to if you're going to play a three-five-two or, or five-three-two or whatever he wants to call it, I, I, th- I can see there being more benefit of playing Sessegnon on the left and tucking Vertonghen inside than than just sticking Vertonghen out and left back. I think I just you may as well kind of go for it. I I also think like you talk about taking a risk, but I think playing Vertonghen as a left back or a left wing back is a big risk these days. You know, it's not like it's not like you're putting someone there who you're like, right, you know, he'll do you a job. He could get really destroyed out there. You know, Sessegnon, he doesn't have the experience necessarily of playing there, but he's got the athleticism. Um, so I, I, I think if I were picking one of them, I'd probably go Sessegnon. But as you say, it depends on how fit he is. So from what I gather, Sessegnon is fit, like he would have been fit to play against Burnley if selected. It was only a short-term injury that he had. And yeah, I completely agree. I would probably throw him in. I think that... Maybe three centre-backs with Sessegnon and Aurier as wing-backs might be the best way to get some pace and width into that Spurs side. I guess a lot of it depends as well whether Lamella is fully fit to play or whether they go for an extra midfielder. But I'm not that... I think I agree with Charlie's analysis about this game. Like I, I'm not that pessimistic for Spurs. I know that there have been a few podcasts recently, particularly well, basically both Chelsea games, where I thought Spurs would get something and then they didn't. But I just think like there's so much pressure on Leipzig now. This is the furthest they've ever been in the Champions League. They've got a very difficult decision, as Charlie said, about whether they stick or twist. They're naturally an attacking team. I wonder how they will manage the game and whether or not Spurs will be able to nick an away goal either on the break or a set piece. Yeah, and also like for Leipzig, all the talk is about how Spurs are injury ravaged. You, you know what it's like when you're playing a team and you hear that like the key players are out. All the expectation is they'll win. But yeah, that that threat of away goal will, will keep Spurs in. If they can keep it close for the you know, first half hour or so, I think that threat of an away goal builds. And uh, I think Tottenham have, the, with with players like the Celso playing so well, I think they have players who might be able to take advantage of that. I just keep thinking of the second leg against Ajax last year, where Spurs lost 1-0 at home. Ajax were much better that day, certainly in the first half, and the second half was more even. So there's a bit of a parallel there. And also Ajax were inexperienced Ajax were expected to go through and they blew it in like the most spectacular fashion ever even though they were tuning up at half time in the second leg like it was 3-0 aggregate and everybody I remember being in the press box and everyone was saying is this over yeah it's definitely over start writing your Ajax go through the final pieces and of course like Lucas scoring that hat trick 
is an incredibly like unlikely thing to happen and Spurs can't rely on, on it happening. But like the away goals rule does mean that crazy things happen in these games. And I, I'm like, put it like this, I'm much, I think the chance of Spurs going through in this game are much higher than I think the chances are of Spurs getting fourth or fifth. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from all around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash the lane and pay the postage of £4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the View from the Lane podcast, you will get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash the lane to get your case free. And don't forget right now, listeners get two extra free beers. Uh, so let's move quickly on to some questions that we've been sent in on Twitter from readers. These are really, really good. So the first one is from Andy Perry 79 who said, what are your takes on the latest minutes from the meeting with the club's board? This is a meeting that THST, Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust, had with the Tottenham board recently. Uh, the minutes from the meeting have been published by the THST. They're really, really interesting. He says, largely in terms of their, that is Tottenham's, attitude to on-pitch matters, is the club now in a state of limbo under Enoch, or is there a chance we can challenge for trophies again? James, what do you reckon? Uh, the, the the line in this that really caught my eye was that this uh, suggestion that uh, Spurs is a club that makes superstars, uh, as if uh, what what was creating the superstars was this kind of uh, you know the world's best training ground and the world's best stadium rather than the manager that, that they've uh, that they've got rid of over the course of the season uh, in favour of a manager who doesn't really have a track record of developing players. Uh, so that that was a bit strange. As for kind of addressing that question head on, um, yeah, it it does feel like you know as much of a crossroads as Spurs have, have been at under Enoch, kind of in in a business sense and in terms of kind of the infrastructure of the club. Obviously, they've got what they what they had set out to do right at the start, which was to build a new training ground and to build an incredible new stadium, and they've done those two things. And you know, you you can't kind of you can't kind of turn your nose up at that. But both of those two things are one incredible. Uh, well, they're incredible assets to the football club in both a kind of financial and the literal sense. But that's all come at a time where the, the football team looks a bit of a mess and the manager is a manager probably famed for short-termism. The thing that's, that stood out for me there was a line from Daniel Levy where he said, transfer funds are ring-fenced for the summer, however not qualifying for the Champions League would have an impact all round. If they don't get that, then suddenly they'll have a manager who's been brought in for this kind of short to medium term project, not in the Champions League, without the money to spend on refreshing the squad. So I think, you know, I think we all know how 
how damaging that would be if they were to miss out on Champions League football this season. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a budget of around 50 million if they don't. And that is nothing nowadays. If you're, you're, if you're attempting a rebuild, yeah, it's one, it's one player or if you're really smart, a couple of very good ones, you know, that is not going to do much of a rebuild. So the next question is from yeah. Doug yeah. Keith, who's another good question. He says, if we're part of the way through the much discussed painful rebuild, which non-fringe players sales can we use to fund new signings? Or to put it another way, setting aside the difference in the market now versus then, who is our Coutinho? I kind of feel like Spurs might have missed the boat on that by, by not being able to sell Ericsson last summer. Mm. Uh, because if you look through the rest of the squad, I mean, the, 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 I don't really see anyone there that's kind of a first, a first choice player that maybe they could sort of jettison. Unless it's sort of Aurier, in which case you're probably talking about sort of 25 million. Or like yeah. a Sissoko, if you want it, maybe you'd get like kind of a, the 30 million they spent on him back. But other than that, you know, assuming they don't want to sell Kane or Son or Deli Alley. I don't really see there's anyone there that's going to really bring in big money. Well, we were talking about this before and, you know, I was saying I think you would be looking at someone like Deli Ali if you're looking to get that kind of money in. Um, and it's just whether any of the big boys, you know, the, the biggest European heavyweight clubs would want him uh, or would, you know, would feel they could fit him in. I, I guess, you know, then you've got a question, would you even countenance selling Kane and Son to try and do the rebuild? I don't think many people would be up for that, but... As you say, there aren't many options of really lucrative sales in that squad. I mean, I suppose they could sell Kane, but I'm sure they wouldn't want to. Uh, but they could certainly make, you know, if they wanted to make money, there's Kane. There's also Deli Ali, who again, I'm sure they could probably, if they were this way inclined, they could probably get Manchester United to pay a lot of money for. It's not hard to get United to cough up a lot of money to buy a famous player. But again, I can't, I'd be really surprised if Tottenham were happy to let Deli go. So the, the only two I could think of really who they could have big resale value for would be Ndombele if Mourinho thinks there is nothing really he can do with him. I'm sure PSG or someone like that would want to have him. Uh, or perhaps Davinson Sanchez, who is very talented, still pretty mm. young, has good experience. I think he's a fantastic player, but if Mourinho didn't feel like he wanted to rely on him going forward, then I'm sure they could make quite a lot of money off Davinson Sanchez. So I think there are, I think Spurs do have levers they can pull if they want to make money. But I don't know exactly what the strategy would be in terms of which of those guys would they actually be willing to get rid of. How confident as well, just to the second part of that question about Coutinho, obviously Liverpool, kind of the gold standard there, they sold Coutinho, brought in Van Dijk and Alisson, and that was probably one of the best reinvestments of a big sale money there's ever been. Obviously, when Tottenham were in a similar situation, they sold Bale and there was the whole Elvis, Beatles, etc. How confident would you be that if they were to sign Kane, they would be able to do an, an Alisson Van Dijk style rebuild? I think it's very difficult to bring in those those players if you're not in the Champions League, isn't it? Mm. I mean, to, to bring in a player who's going to be ready to slot in and make a massive impact immediately, which is, as we've talked about over the last few weeks, is what Spurs generally haven't been able to do. I just kind of feel like it would be very difficult to, you know, to look to her to start with 50 or even 100 million pounds and then say, we're going to go out and sign four players who are going to transform, uh, transform the team immediately which is kind of what you're almost asking Mourinho to do and it, it just kind of seems like now we're at the stage where you kind of have to take a step back and say okay we're going to have to go out and buy three or four younger players for key positions and then just accept that it's going to take a couple of years for it all to work which is kind of where Spurs were when when Pochettino first took over in 2014 really you know th th a year after this uh the, the bail sale that saw seven players bought in 
You know, it took Ericsson a little while to get going. It took Lamella a little while to get going. You know, players like Kane came into the team, Mason and Townsend and whoever else. It, it's kind of it was always going to be a, a slower build than you know, like when Chelsea came in in two thousand and three and signed a load of ready-made established players. Yeah. Um, I, I just I just think it's probably possibly maybe not going to get worse before it gets better but it's going to get better very very slowly and probably more slowly than most people would like including possibly Jose Mourinho we're going to wrap up there but thanks very much for listening everyone and we will be back next week where we will look back on the Leipzig game and the Manchester United game and Spurs's I mean for better or worse Spurs's season will be in a very different place by then thanks for joining us (laughs) 